Welcome to the Gang of Four, the Irreverent Political Podcast. My name is Neil Caldwell. I have with me James. Hello. Stephen. Hi, Neil. And Kenny is not here. <gasps> Kenny is indisposed at some neoliberal convention or <laughs> something like that, we presume. But we don't know for sure, listeners. Please tell us if you see him. Yeah, I've, I've, apparently I've heard that he fulfilled a late call to take part in tonight's leaders' debate. But ah, we, did he? we can only speculate. Um, so we are the Gang of Three. On our 10th episode, even though we're still marketing ourselves as the Gang of Four. Uh, but we are 10 days, no, we're not 10 days, we're seven days from the election. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The manifestos have been launched. How are we feeling about, one, Kenny's absence, James, and two, seven days before the election? Um, I mourn the loss of Kenny. <laughs> I, just, I just fear what this podcast will be without him. Yeah. I don't know who's going to mention... Um, He's going to do a quote, is my main concern. Yeah. But anyway, no, in all seriousness, uh, the election, it's all very exciting all of a sudden. It has um, It seemed to be going one way, it probably still is going that way, but the Cor- Corbyn renaissance is upon us. Yeah, we should say that uh, the polling at the start of the campaign looked very ominous. The Tories polling at 47%, Labour in the high 20s, but which would have translated to a thumping majority for the Tories, but that seems to have retracted some polls, say it's down to five points differential now, Stephen. Yeah, we might be reaching the point where Theresa May might actually regret having called this a snap election. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. We we did a podcast some short time ago on at the start of the election, and we all, I think, concurred that the, the Labour uh, electioning policy or any surge that they might achieve would probably flounder on the personality of Jeremy Corbyn and the leadership qualities. It seems like it's actually been almost the reverse. You know, he's he's captured a certain sense of authenticity, and it's al- it's also almost been Theresa May who's been the personality devoid leader here. And you know, kind of their Tory uh, strategy seems to have backfired. He seems likable. I think he does. He comes across well, and people forget this. I mean, that's why he won the Labour leadership election so well because he does come across well. People, and he's got clear policies. He's got something to vote for. I had expected a bit more, and this may yet come. I had expected more, a bit more of a kind of I guess, roasting by the Tory press of Corbyn and his history, and it has come. But if anything, it's actually the additional kind of coverage that he's had, and particularly the like for like coverage versus Theresa May, who, who you know the Tories have seemed to have pursued this leadership focused strategy. It's actually been to, to his benefit in almost every scenario, really. Yeah, there's only so much the Tory press can cover for Theresa May's panic-stricken yeah. face. And actually, in his, him, you know, it's like, let's look at his history and see how terrible he is, and he wants to take Britain back to the, to the 70s or whatever it would be. And actually, and you just quoted it, you just said the right word there, it's kind of backfired in the sense that the public actually thinks, well, here's at least somebody who's authentic and seems like a, a nice guy, rather than, you know, U-turning, for example, on key policy decisions. No, I just wonder what's up in the next week. Yeah. What have they got lined up? And is this part of... I'm not one for big conspiracy theories. No, I didn't think you were, James. I don't think anyone's ever accused you of that. (laughs) But the timing of certain poll releases and things to galvanise the vote or that kind of thing. I just think back to 2015, how close it was meant to be, how wrong they were... And I just have a feeling that it's going to be wrong again. Yeah, but this isn't the case as if, apart from one poll which was released yesterday, 
all the polls are sh- still showing the Tories with uh, at least five point gap. Yep. It's not as if they're showing Labour with a clear win over the Tories or anything no, like that. No, but the trend since the moment well, the trend of, the, is the, of, polls this, are of the election yeah. being called is quite dramatically narrowing. And we should say that the, the, the exceptional poll that we're talking about is the one, the one released last night. It was a YouGov poll that was done a more a different model, a constituency-based mm. model, mm. which they claim their own internal models produced the right results for Brexit and Trump. Yeah. But they just didn't bother releasing didn't release that one. So we'll have to take them on their word yeah. for that. So you might be right, they might yeah. be in the Tories' pocket, it's all a big the, plan. The recent history of polling suggests, obviously, we, we disregard it almost, but there's no doubt that they have tried to adapt the technicalities of their polls to reflect the nuances of those last, last elections. So who knows, as I've said to you both recently, it may not be that the polling is correct as much as, is incorrect, sorry, as much as, you know, people tell a pollster one thing and then actually vote the other way, and the, the shy Tory syndrome could yet rear its head. Yeah, the shy Tory thing is interesting, I, because if you assume that that's already been factored in, true, true, but the polls are yet narrowing. I mean, I'm not, not sure how much you take into that. Yeah, so you got people already voted, so the postal votes. <clears throat> some people already voted, and will it probably seem the better side of me? Yeah, till it's deteriorated. Yeah, even like, disregarding the stats for the analysis for a second, just the, the pure eye test. You know, we, each of us has had their opinion of Corbyn modified by his his you know performances in the last few weeks and I don't know that we would say our opinion of May has been modified as much as it's kind of uh, reasserted certain it's um, yeah it's made, under it, you know undermined her slightly it's made me refocus on all her bad qualities which are that she she is a as I somewhat coarsely put it in the last podcast she is a two-faced bitch <laughs> she she uh, she she does blatant U-turns and then and she's embarrassed to talk about it because she can't quite admit it yeah. to us, yeah. to the viewers or the listeners yeah. or whatever medium it is. It hasn't really but you can a... see the anguish in her face. She hates it. Yeah. I mean, in the modern politics, you know what? What are people crying out for? Anecdotally, I agree with authenticity, and Jesus, she's been the exact opposite of that. Yeah, yeah but I think secretly that's what she wants. In the <clears> times, <throat> like for instance, after the Manchester bombings, where she did come across as quite prime ministerial. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. admit she's quite prime ministerial, which matters. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does yeah. But she is very bad at the political spinning. Like she's the exact opposite what? of David Cameron, which you do need a bit of. What's annoyed me about the U-turn is for both of the things she's U-turned on, I was relatively happy with the original call. So the first, like, the main one about the national insurance mm-hmm. changing the tax system to try and make it fairer, and you've got various bodies saying that needed to be done. And then the most recent one on care costs, now whether the burden needs to be shared there, but then for this whole change back as if nothing's happened, yeah, that's what's even annoyed me more. And that there's a time and a place for a U-turn, and if you don't support someone, you say that it's the worst thing to happen. And if you do support them, you say, well, they've been listening. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the, the subtext here, as ever, though, is that she's election, electioning, electioneering to be the Prime Minister to lead us into Brexit talks on a banner of being strong and stable. Mm-hmm. These things do not support that strongly stable view, mm-hmm. nor do they fill us with great hope for forthcoming debates. If you, if, if you actually look at the campaigns since it was launched, it started off with um, this whole strong and stable bullshit that you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Focus on Brexit and the Tory poll lead, because poll leads is 
polls are news now. Yeah. The minute the manifestos were launched, things changed. We'll talk about the specifics later, but yeah. the general point is because of that U-turn and because Labour did actually produce a fully costed manifesto, you can argue about the costs themselves yeah. and whether they, you believe them, but at least it was costed. And Corbyn actually comes across as a nice guy. Yeah. I'd say that the Neil interview, which is around the same time frame, also added to it. But yeah, I agree. Well, I can't believe is all this is happening in spite of who Corbyn has around him in certain positions. Such as? Such as, I would mention... Well, Diana that hasn't is a, shown is a, a key one. Just in terms of, it's not as if he's got the backing of the full party and all MPs. So you mentioned Diana. Because I read some today and it was saying that Ian Murray, so the Edinburgh South... Mm. The sole Scottish Labour, Labour MP, MP is benefiting now from the Corbyn resurgence. Which, given that he <laughs> yeah, the irony of it, yeah. totally went against them and tried to oust them, is this strange situation you have where the success of Corbyn is actually boosting people that might have lost their seats? It's yeah, well, I was going to ask you about this because you're a you're a Scottish Labour old school person. Yes, that would be correct. Now, <laughs> traditionally, you might expect the Scottish Labour Party was more to the left of the UK Labour Party, mm-hmm. but that is now not the case. Now, on the face of it, no. on the face of it, in terms of leadership and the guts of the elected representatives, I'm talking yeah. about not maybe the, the membership. But the membership mm-hmm. of the Scottish Labour Party is so small now that it doesn't really matter. However, take my thesis to its conclusion first before you before you destroy it. So, I think if the majority of the old school Scottish Labour vote has gone to the SNP, yeah, that's. We can accept that. Uh, in the west I of Scotland, maybe. Yeah. I wouldn't. In the last couple of elections, when you say old school, do you mean people that you would assume would vote Labour now aren't? Now, if you're talking aren't. old school Labour, a lot of old school Labour haven't changed their vote. No, but I'm, like, I'm, I'm talking about now fifties, sixties, seventies. No, but even there, there's been a move. Uh, well, a slight move, but I'd say more in the 20, 30, 40s. James, but there's no doubt. At least we're talking fifteen percent of the. Yeah. Electorate has moved from Labour to the SNP in Scotland, right? Mm-hmm. Not so, more. yes. Now those people, you and on the face of it, in terms of the broad analysis, are the old school left of centre, more left of centre than the rest of the UK Labour Party. Mm-hmm. Yes, they quite like the idea of Corbyn, generally, mm-hmm. but they won't vote for the Scottish Labour Party because they actually see that the Scottish Labour Party. The leadership of that is not aligned with the Corbynistas. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm actually disputing this analysis of Edinburgh South. Edinburgh South's a weird constituency. I don't think you can judge the rest of the Edinburgh even by Edinburgh South yeah. because it's such a bizarre three or even four way marginal. And the demographics cover a lot of different. Uh, yeah, I think it's a different demographic to what you're talking. About you're think, referring to. Yeah, but I, I I agree. But what I'm saying is in England. I would be inclined to vote Labour mm-hmm. because I think he's a nice guy with a good vision. I don't think he's the best prime ministerial candidate, yeah. but he's, he is actually does have some leadership qualities. There's a difference between the two. But in Scotland, I would never vote for the Scottish Labour Party. We, I would. I have thought about this as well, and I go back to maybe what I said in the last podcast, and I think again what we all agreed. No matter what Labour's policies may be at that time any kind of idea to vote for them would fall back on the idea that you'd have Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister and his current shadow cabinet as the, you know, the, the cabinet. 
and they hadn't filled me with any level of confidence that they had the skills um, to be an effective, you know, effective cabinet and effective mm-hmm. prime minister. I don't know that this election campaign has changed my mind on that aspect. I would say it's changed my mind on his his own, um, yeah, whatever belief in his own belief in his own beliefs. But I still don't necessarily think I could vote consciously for him as prime minister. But you're not voting for him as prime minister. No, no, I know. But you're voting for. So okay, okay, right. Okay, I, 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 I take your point. But well, okay. Well, the divider. Maybe the, that's an interesting point. It's been run as a very presidential election campaign from all parties, not just the Tories and Labour. But that's a fair, well, that's a fair where, point. Where it's suited, the, I think, on the ground to our one reference of the one Labour MP in Scotland. Mm-hmm. I doubt he's got Corbyn anywhere near any of his materials. That's I think true, that yeah. might change now. That might change if if what you say is true, and he's picking up good canvas returns on the grounds of. Well, this is what I'm saying. Going back to yeah. even ignoring the stats, just the pure eye test as. You know, us in this room who are reasonably interested in politics, we've changed our minds on Corbyn. So you're right. I'm not. We're not voting for him as president or prime minister. You know, we're voting for individual candidates. But as you said, it's in, it will have an impact on which candidates get voted for, and particularly, as you say, might maybe in the you know the materials and the way that they they go about their campaigning. You could probably see the, by the same token, the Tories start to. I doubt it, but they could start to slightly uh, distance themselves from me. Could be. I, to be honest, though, I think it's as much to do with the Labour manifesto itself than Corbyn himself. Mm-hmm. Corbyn's not done too badly, apart from one slight error over the getting his actual numbers. But I think people give a pass on that. To be honest, the whole yeah, dynamic. Yeah. I mean, we may we forget numbers every now and again, and of course, and I think people do are okay with that. I mean, it's a bit of a faux pas on the day you're launching a policy to not be able to quote the numbers on said policy. But even then, yeah, the far more. Like Damage done to, for example, Theresa May when she completely evaded and Andrew Neil's questions, for example, that was far more damaging. You know, she, yeah. just their refusal to engage. And because she's far not more skilled awesome. at evading questions, she just looks angry that she has yeah. to. Yeah, exactly. But we talked about the manifesto, so I think we should delve deeper into the okay. the big three manifestos for us. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think we can safely ignore the Lib Dems now. I think we. Can. Well, that's who Kenny had. Yeah, <laughs> Kenny, can you please summarise the Lib Dem manifesto for us? Thanks, Kenny. That was, that was good. Uh, James, we've given you the SNP manifesto. Yes, that so, is right. So uh, can you summarise for the listeners to help them aid their votes what yep. you think are the highlights of the SNP manifesto? What I think are the highlights. I think I'm the wrong person <laughs> to ask for the highlights. Well, that's why we did this feature. Great. Right. Okay. Well, I've been, I've had a, I'm going to say I flicked through a PDF. I've had a look at some articles about it, what people are saying. Um, so the big, the, the starting point was that Sturgeon isn't on the front cover. That raised a few journalistic questions. She mm. retorted that the baby was cuter. Right. But some people are saying, is this to do with her fall in popularity, you might say. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the general election 15 one, it's just a picture of her. Right? Yep. Content, James, please. Content. Okay. So uh, a good way to look at it is how many times things are mentioned. Yeah, right. the SNP. Well, we've we've mentioned this separately. The SNP are in this difficult situation where they want to talk about uh, successes, which tend to be Scottish government successes, but that's not anything to do necessarily with this election. Yeah. So mentioned once was the word Nicola. Okay. Right. Mentioned twice was the word Angus. Right. Right. And mentioned three times was the word Mary. 
So I don't know if that leads us to who's the, st- the star of the show these days. Have you just revealed an exclusive sex scandal? <laughs> <laughs> You mean Mary Black? Mary Black. Nicola Sturgeon. and Mary Black, yes. Yes, so they mentioned the Tories 55 times. They mentioned Labour once. Also, it's pretty damning. And also the Liberal Democrats zero times. They mentioned the single market 21 times. They mentioned broadband five times. Veterans eight times. But the, what Do they mention are, cinema tickets 16 times? <laughs> <laughs> um, but what the, the thing that people are picking up on is the independence, and in the context when they refer to, was only mentioned six times, okay. whereas fishing was mentioned 25 times. Well, fishing so is an EU issue, which is therefore applicable for how it shall be devolved back to the UK and Scotland. Mm. So it's relative, I, I would say, to... Do you think fishing policy is more important in an SNP manifesto than independence. Well, and for the purpose of this election, yes, I don't think... Even though if you vote for SNP and they have a majority of MPs, it's a mandate for... It's not really a mandate for independence. Well, that's what they're saying. They, they are and they aren't. They, it'll be spun out. <laughs> so they're playing both sides No, I, I'm, I'm being critical in yeah, some ways. No, no, I'm saying I, I that there are any politicians. If, they, if the SNP vote holds up to anywhere above 45 seats and 45%, ironically, mm-hmm. those 245 numbers, yeah. it's a bad word for us now, mm-hmm. are, are, if it's above that, that will be seen as a decent mandate to maintain the existing policy, which is wait till the end of Brexit. Mm-hmm. Was that always the existing policy? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's consistent. It, the, the wording's changed slightly, end of the Brexit process <laughs> rather than in 2018, 2019. Yeah, yeah. But they're broadly the same thing, really, aren't they? I mean, yeah. Well, if the Brexit process never ends, are you happy to, yeah, yeah. to wait? Yeah, to well, wait? I would. But I'm not your typical SNP voter. Yeah, I guess my point there is it never ends. Never end them. Um, so, yeah, so that's what people are talking about. A uh, funny line from it is, there's the, these are the exact words, we also guarantee the continuation of tuition-free university education. So, <laughs> yeah. so they're removing tuition from university education. <laughs> not free tuition, not tuition. No. And it's still in the current edition, which is quite funny. But overall, um, I thought it was a perfectly good document. They had the Tartan House of Commons seats again, yeah. which a few people are picking up on. Everyone likes that. But uh, to echo your point, I think the way things are looking, your 45 mark is bang on. That anything... Better than that, they will say that oh, this is a mandate. This is mm. perfectly obvious what's going on here. SNP are the, the majority in Scotland. We've got a strong mandate, etc. So we are the party. Yep. Anything below that, which I can't see, but who knows what tactical voting will do, I would consider a, a, a pretty damning failure. Yeah. See her um, sort of clarion call, I guess, at the weekend there for she would be willing to go into a progressive alliance. Um, Thoughts? Do you think that has an impact? I think she's been more caged on that than in 2015, deliberately because she knows it antagonises the a certain demographic of voter in the home county, home counties down yes. south. Aye. But she's still opening the door. Aye. And Corbyn has actually been quite cagey on this as well. Now, well, he was kind of quoted saying he would support a second referendum and now kind of wheeled back on that bit. He was, and I wonder if the Tories will ramp up that old argument uh, from 2015. Yeah, now that Corbyn is now yeah. in the polls, it's well, a new kind of threat. Exactly, because it did quote her, her, Nicola Sturgeon's 
mentioned that she would, you know, she was kind of cornered into it on a, an interview, but when she'd mentioned it, she would be willing to entertain it. It was coincidentally, you know, fortuitous timing that it was just on the same day as the polls narrowing. So, yeah, yeah maybe that's, that's more of a reaction rather than... Only thing I would say is that, and this applies to both the SNP and the Tories, but more so the Tories because of the usual Linton Crosby style campaign they're trying to run. Mm. I think the UK public, pretty much similar to how the Scottish public became after the Scottish independence referendum, is becoming a little bit more discerning and, and seeing through some of the guff. Oh yeah, far more literally. Far yeah. more than even two years ago. Yeah, totally. And I don't even think the same tired argument from 2015 would have as much of an effect no. this time. For I a wonder, variety of reasons. Polling, uh, um, being, people being cynical in polls, and also people actually just accepting somebody who really is genuine, like Corbyn, accepting his answers more than they would. I wonder the impact in Scotland about, because as we just said, the, the Scottish politics and policy, or populist, pardon me, in particular is very literate and has obviously become a far more of a yes-no impact on your political persuasions. Any, you know, uh, uh, part on Nicola Sturgeon or Nicola Sturgeon's part to say she'll go into Brexit Progressive Alliance will then make them think about, well, that means Corbyn's PM, you know, does it mean tactical voting locally in Scotland? Does it up the ante on the Tory vote or, you know, reinforce the Tory vote in Scotland, which is already kind of... Not so sure. Growing. It's, it's theoretical rather than anything else, but... Yeah. The only thing I'd say is that the tactical voting in England, I don't think, will be based too much around Brexit from the from the sounds of things. No. Which hasn't happened. And purely because Labour trigger, voted to trigger Article 50. You could say that was a strategic... Possibly. Win for them. Yeah. They did that. I mean, they got flack for it at the time from yeah. Kenny and pals, but they were probably right to do it. Possibly. On raw politics. Yeah, Kenny, defend yourself now. Well, Thanks, Kenny. Good. Thanks, yeah. Kenny. That's good. Yeah. Uh, see, when you're referring to Scotland, are you including Glasgow when you're saying literally? <laughs> Just going back to a previous podcast. Yeah. You've accepted the will of the yeah. podcast. And next Glasgow. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, that was the SNP manifesto. Thank you, James. That was uh, relatively balanced. For my standards. Yes, it was. Um, Stephen. Sure. What are the Tories promising us? <laughs> yeah. Well, today, you mean, yeah. Um, so the Tory manifesto was launched a couple of weeks ago. Um, at the time, I was of the opinion, and have read you know, a few things commenting on it as well, that it was actually quite a centrist manifesto in some respects. Um, the, the sort of key sentences that were captured were, uh, Theresa May saying, or the Tory manifesto saying, that we reject the cult of selfish, selfish individualism and do not believe in untrammeled free markets. This was seen as, you know, a move to the sort of co- uh, cosy Tory or warm and fuzzy Tory as opposed to the, the far right wing uh, Tory um, or uh, spectrum of the party at the time. Um, yeah. Yeah, far right is maybe a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. More, uh, more far right, right. uncomfortable. Yeah, in, in, an ec- in an economic sense. Um, so that was the kind of highlights at the time. In terms of pure policy, I think it was, you know, the headlines were probably the um, proposal to remove the triple outcome pension and also to remove the cap on social costs um, or the so-called dementia tax, as it was called at the time. Again, at the time, uh, you know, I mentioned this and it was borne out in some of the coverage that it was an interesting approach to a manifesto in that it wasn't really focusing on the, the core voter group, you know, it wasn't, it was almost anti um, old people, for want of a better phrase, and actually seemed quite forward thinking, and in some respects it was 
sort of engaging with the future. It was talking about R&D investment and things like this. It's like One Nation Tory plus Brexit, wasn't it? A little bit. Um, you know, there was, the, there was the immigration targets, which, you know, is interesting how you think you're going to have a uh, R&D investment with no, no immigrants to come in and do the R&D, but okay. Um, but generally speaking, it seemed like a manifesto which actually wasn't just purely towards the core voter for this election, but almost quite future-looking. Now, having said all that, what happened a couple of days later is they got, they basically Theresa May had to turn around and do a U-turn on, the, as I say, the dementia tax, and you know then suddenly the manifesto was kind of up in flames with the leaks from the Tory party saying that it was completely driven by the Prime Minister and her coterie as opposed to anybody else in the party. So it's kind of um, now been a, a bad or a disadvantage to her election campaign. But as I say, at the time I actually thought it was quite an interesting um, set of pledges. You say interesting. I mean, I thought it was relatively bland in terms of one. It wasn't really costly. Two, there was sure. very little detail apart from the one thing that they did a massive U-turn. Yes, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and it was also quite a complex thing to fully explain this: the so-called dementia tax. Yes, because it's well, don't ask me to do that. <laughs> it's related to social care inheritance tax and the application. Well, I think of it's what like essentially that the, what they, well the U-turn is probably easier to explain. What they've done is said that there will be an absolute cap on social care costs borne by an individual and yeah. I think in the manifesto they'd said that that would, wouldn't be the case i.e. there yeah. almost would be no cap basically That's it. if you want a U-turn you've just got to find a name that sticks in people's heads and it's derogatory and like scary. Scary. I was saying like dementia tax you have the bedroom tax you have yeah. the passy tax as long as tax. you can label it as a one word tax yeah. then usually it's chance. not good but again I mean, you mentioned earlier but it kind of seemed like a um foreseeable issue and then to U-turn so quickly did not mm-hmm. you know didn't didn't do her any favours an uninspiring manifesto it was right, I'll yeah. do, I'm going to do the Labour manifesto inspiring um, yes it was actually right now bear in mind I'm an SNP member but um, this is the UK Labour Party I'm talking about and they're a manifesto quite uh, transformational in a lot of ways Mm-hmm. So nationalising elements of the rail or the railways and elements of public utilities, kind of along the German localised nationalisation model, if you know what that means, yep. uh, which works in Germany, re- rebadging the tax rates, so introducing an- another level of tax rate, forty five percent above eighty thousand, and I think above one hundred and twenty three thousand, the fifty percent rate. Which means it's a more progressive policy in the sort of traditional, obvious sense, where you're going to tax people more at higher levels. But they're actually quite sensible targets anywhere outside of London, but maybe that's the point, is you need to distribute wealth from London as well. Yeah. Um, they're going to maintain the triple lock on pensioners, which I'm not in favour of, because the baby boomers have had enough, as I've said. I'd nod yeah. Um, that was the one part. That's, well, that's what I'm saying, I guess, back to the Tory one, but it was almost what you wouldn't expect in a Tory one and may have expected in a sort of progressive Labour manifesto with the fingerprints of the likes of Paul Mason on it. But anyway, I, yeah. I thought it sounded like something that you put in if you don't think you're going to get elected. Yeah. it's, it's so like expensive. It was more poli- I think it's more political, as in like, let's appeal yeah. to this potential voter rather than it is a bit, but fully I, thought out economic strategy. It could be, but the only thing I would say is maybe it was recognising the fact that, we yes, we... Uh, there is this generational divide, and it's actually becoming even more clear these days. Mm-hmm. I've had to go to the baby boomers, you've had to go to the baby boomers, Stephen, but yeah. we're not saying everybody over 65 is a 
wealth hoarding, no, that's true. Yeah. leeching on the young. I mean, no. there is people, there's oh, clearly, of course, huge clearly. numbers yeah, of pensioners in poverty, clearly. and clearly. some of them do deserve a, a minimum of two, two and a half percent. Uh, income. Of course, of course. Um, a couple other headlines the end to zero hours contracts, which was a highlight of 2015. And there's one interesting one I thought I'd go for the move to charge companies a levy on salaries above 330,000, which is another redistributive one, which quite a good idea I think mm-hmm. um, but genuinely it's quite a transformational document for a document that it didn't transform you no <laughs> no I, I wouldn't I'll vote for the SNP yeah. because in Scotland that's the best party for me to vote for because one I believe in independence and two the SNP will always stand up for Scotland in whatever parliament they're sitting and three you're centre right I'm not centre right <laughs> you liar <laughs> but, <clears throat> but what I find interesting is it's it's not Old school socialism. No, and then in whatever you define that as, Kenny, <laughs> Kenny's got no defence to that either. <laughs> but it is more. It's it's moving. It's like a combination of France and Germany mm. in current policies. I would say. Yeah, it's more well, future. What, 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 higher taxes, but sensible nationalisation. I'm going to insult like certain listeners here. What of France would you want? What of France? France Germany, you've got growth surplus, high. Culture, football, the wine. The <laughs> yeah, but that's not in a manifesto. I'm just saying when you've got no, bits of France. France is traditionally more a left of centre country, which is more, um, which is more redistributive and right. aims to be. I think the, the Germany wants to be a more that's a, that's a generalisation. Germany is more as in they've focused on their target industries or industries that suit them well mm. and um, spread the the. the the hubs of those industries around okay. the nation, wealth, which stands in obviously stark contrast this to the UK, where the wealth is all accumulated yeah. in financial uh, services in London. Probably more Germany in the sense that even though the centre right is in charge of Germany, Germany isn't neoliberal in the slightest. G- Germany's capitalist model is not a neoliberal model. It's based on the Mittelstadt, they call it, I think, mm. which is the, the whole um, the small business manufacturing yeah, culture. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's not based on unfettered market driveling. Yeah. capitalism at all and, and and that whole the nationalisation is done on a similar local model when it comes to utilities Good. so it's, it is more of a balanced economy in a lot of respects and that that is a good idea the German democratic model is federalism which lends itself to economic policies which you've described there as well it do, I mean it, it does make a lot of sense that maybe the UK should become more like Germany in a lot of ways yeah and on that note that's how we wrap up <laughs> The manifestos. Like, are we wanting to do predictions or predictions for this for the the election? election. Conservative majority (coughs) of fifty to a hundred seats. Yeah, I like the. Okay, my prediction will be a conservative majority of between one and fifty seats. Okay, if we're just quoting numbers, I agree with you. I, I. this won't surprise you. I have an illusion to make and a point to make. But at the start, we were talking, talking about this, like Corbyn is going to be like this Michael Foot moment, you know, and disaster. It might still be. It might still be. Mm. I did see an interesting one likening it more to the um, Edward Heath 74 election, where he called the snap election and Harold Olsen actually, you know, came from nowhere and won. I don't see that happening. What I do see is some potential for Corbyn to have momentum coming out of the back of this election. Like, I think... I said this to you. Literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Momentum being the operative word. 
I've see, said this to you guys already, but the sort of like the, the we are the 45 idea, which maybe you know, like the, they were always they lost the referendum, but they were kind of in their eyes on the side of the righteous and they had the momentum and actually they took a kind of moral victory off the back of it. Well, and I think for me, it's going to be a, a pyrrhic victory, you know, I, I, it was an unnecessary election and she's not going to come off, come out of the back of it with the same authority she did, regardless of the majority she ends up winning. So you're picturing a kind of Bernie Sanders movement? A little bit. I think, I guess what I'm saying is we thought this would be a disaster for Corbyn and spell the end, or conceivably. I actually think it's almost done him a lot of good and it's a sense of righteousness behind no, I, people. I, I, I see what you're saying, but I don't quite think that there's yet enough... I don't think Britain's quite ready for that to be a sustainable electoral force even in opposition, if you know what I mean. I, I think it'll be more like the 1987 mm-hmm. UK election, which is where Labour were, Labour did better than a lot of people predicted. They had a really good campaign. They transformed the party, but ultimately the Tories still won by a good hefty margin. So if we take, and take that model or allusion to its natural conclusion, we'll have another loss by a nail-biter next no, election and then it depends on who they get as a leader. I, I can foresee it. All, all, all the Labour future, or the future Labour party, all depends on who follows Corbyn and do they stay as one party. I, I think it will end up something along the lines of, like the 1987 election, Labour will keep changing and it will move away from New Labour and it will be a kind of modified version of Corbynism, mm. which is actually quite future-looking. I think that manifesto is already hinting at it. Well, we, and it said, could be something like that. The fingerprints of people like Mason, who we've called out in the past, would be interesting because there's parallels with the rest of Europe as well. Uh, well, that's the manifestos. You make up your mind, listeners, and we will see the outcome in our next show. So now it's time for A Blast from the Past with James. Thanks, Neil. This time we're going back to 2015. Wow, wow. <laughs> it does seem like a long time ago. It does seem like a long time ago. We're going back to the Ed Stone. Do you remember the Ed Stone? <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah. What do you remember of the Ed Stone? I don't remember anything that was written on it. No, I was just going to say it. <laughs> I just remember the obvious jokes that people came out with as soon as he launched it. Yeah. So he launched it on the 3rd of May 2015 <laughs> in a car park. And it cost, <laughs> this is all after, there's been a lot of investigative journalism after the, yeah, this yeah, happened, yeah. but it cost £7,614. And do you know where it was meant to sit after he got elected? The garden in number 10. Exactly. So standing <laughs> at 8 foot 6 inches tall, um, the Edstone was described by Tony Blair's biographer as the most absurd, ugly, embarrassing, childish, <laughs> silly, patronising, ridiculous gimmick I have ever seen. Also with a quote is Boris Johnson. And I thought this was a great opportunity to have Kenny's quote, Les Kenny. Yeah, so this, okay. is, this is the quote. Okay? okay. So Boris Johnson talking about the Edstone. Okay. Did he A, describe it as some <laughs> weird commie slab, B, some weird Trotsky tombstone, or C, some weird shrine to Michael Foote? Uh, B, I'm going to go with the Trotsky one. Also B. Also be no, it was some weird commie slab. Jesus, that's yeah, it's quite harsh. So you're right. <laughs> Not that we should be shocked. If Boris Imagine Johnson describing Ed Miliband as a commie, like in light of what's happened afterwards. Like, I know. Nice. He's got away with words, Boris. Ed Miliband and Ed Balls—a total testament to 
take these guys away from politics and actually they seem alright you know <laughs> they seem quite nice of, you're a big yeah. fan of the Eds I used to hate Ed Balls now I always had a sneaking admiration for Ed Balls <laughs> oh, on that note um, <laughs> so there was six pledges written on the stone anyone want to take a guess of any of them uh, there's zero. one that's quite Ed, famous Ed Zero's contracts no um, there's one that was picked up a lot one by to, um, um, the S&P and various left wing was one on the energy companies like freeze energy prices or something like that. I know that was one of his famous pledges that was no what like no. no the one that I was thinking of that a lot of people picked up on was number four which was controls on immigration oh yeah or, right yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Uh, the famous emblem on a teacup uh, yeah you could buy a mug with it so it was a strong so one a strong economic foundation two higher living standards for working families three an NHS with the time to care Mm-hmm. Four controls on immigration. Five, a country where the next generation can do better than the last. And six, homes to buy and action on rents. So, about you, I feel that's quite a random selection of stuff. It's random, but it's also quite generic, isn't it? Uh, it doesn't. It's none, none of those things are anything any, anybody could possibly <laughs> argue with. But so, you know, so I, mean, so I like, want to make things better. So. Uh, yeah. But Ironically, there's no concrete detail on yeah. putting them. <laughs> so, um, t- to make matters worse, <laughs> after the election, after he lost, after he quit, uh-huh. um, it wasn't correctly declared on the election expenses. So the <laughs> oh, Labour yeah. Party get fined twenty thousand pounds. <laughs> then there was the great hunt for where the stone was, and it had been settled until recently, where it had been smashed up in pieces. Oof. However. Various people have, and there's a Telegraph article on this, not April 1st, I've checked, <laughs> saying that in a restaurant in London, in their beer garden, you can see the edge stone. Nice. So uh, it's either... And it's pieces. No, a full... So there's now, whether it's a, a replica that they've decided to commission, <laughs> but people are now taking photos of the edge stone when they're having their... God, just think of the poor, uh, the poor chiseler. Mm. <laughs> I spent all the time carving that out yeah. and then but then you look at seven and a half grand that you yeah. paid probably to do it within a couple of days yeah. so edifice. with the Edstone in mind mm-hmm. I'm asking the gang um, what they would put on their stone just one on their stone promise. mine isn't as pithy as that but okay no okay <laughs> um, will we start with you then okay um a wealth tax, or at least a working group to investigate wealth tax. A working well, group <laughs> to investigate wealth tax. <laughs> <laughs> the number 10. Well, you looked, at me, like, you looked at me like I had two heads when I said a wealth no, tax. So, so like, a working group. No, right, okay, well, on the, on the stone will be uh-huh. uh, a wealth tax in the future. That's, okay. that's fucking shit. You didn't tell us we were writing on a stone. No, <laughs> would that have made any difference? Well, I would have thought of a... So if they catch raise, like, you no, know. I, I like the working group on a wealth tax. Dimension tax. Like, okay, if you're having a working group, I'll have a <laughs> royal commission to investigate the possibility of uh, efficiencies in the national insurance system. <laughs> <laughs> equally snappy. Yeah. No, so are, you, through. are you talking about an overarching policy? I'm just saying that you're, you're working at number 10, you've just come off the phone to Donald Trump, you're, you need the fresh air, you go out into the <laughs> yeah. garden and you, you're just thinking why you're doing this and you look up and you say, there's a working group on a wealth tax that I've not done yet. <laughs> so we, or, <laughs> so we, you want a pithy policy that will, can be carved a in stone. That can or, become or, somebody's or to-do list. Just, just 
makes you work better. Okay. Um, end neoliberalism. End neoliberalism. So that yes. would be your... Yeah. Okay. Do you want to change yours? Or you Peace in the Middle East. Peace in the Middle East. <laughs> all right, okay. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll... Stephen's policy can be attached to mine as well. Okay. Okay. I guess when we're going to get this where the stones get bigger than each other yeah, and it's probably. going to be competitive. Uh, I would just have something like do better. That's <laughs> do better. Do better. Right. <laughs> That's worse than headstone. Yeah. No, Re- but just, reach for the stars. So when you're looking, at, <laughs> looking at the window, just it says do better. Um, it's like a slogan. Love Trump's hate. Slogan picture you buy in IKEA. Yeah. <laughs> love Trump's hate. That's a good. And one. I didn't ask Kenny for one. But he's texted us while we're on air. Uh-huh. He sends a message. And I think this should go on Kenny Stone, or Ken Stone, we'll call it. Okay. And he said, listening to the Gang of Four podcast without Kenny is like listening to Bon Jovi without John Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> and that can be on Kenny's Ken Stone. Okay. Back to me. Uh, on that note, thank you, Kenny. And thank you, James. Uh, that's just a bit all from the Gang of Four, pre-election. Uh, we will find out the results and we will communicate them back to you. <laughs> that will be the first yeah. thing you hear. <laughs> sure this is the only political vehicle of some like um, Please do find us on social media. James, how will they get in contact with us? They can find us on Twitter and Facebook and thank you to people that dropped us messages on Twitter, which we haven't responded to because we're, we're cool. Um, <laughs> we don't need listeners. Yeah. Uh, we're the Zuckerberg of this operation. Yeah. Um, you can find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and Player FM, and various other outlets. outlets. Okay, thank you for listening. And that's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye, Stephen. Goodbye. Goodbye, James. Goodbye. Goodbye.